0: Hello, everyone. It's Eves, checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show.
1: Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson, and it's January 9th. The first modern circus was staged for the first time on this day in 1768, although it was not nearly as elaborate as what we would probably call a circus today. Today, we think of a circus as a spectacle that happens in a tent or an arena with some combination of clowns, acrobats, beats of daredevilry, and trained animals Although there's a lot of mixing and matching from one circus company to another and from place to place. For example, in some parts of the world, circuses are really likely to have acrobats, but not likely to have trained animals. It really depends. This kind of entertainment, though, goes all the way back to antiquity. The Circus Maximus in Rome, for example, was home to chariot races and public games. It could hold as many as 150,000 spectators. And events at the Circus Maximus often involved a parade of animals, sort of like a circus parade. And then throughout the centuries since then, all around the world, there have been amusements and spectacles that combined various aspects of what we would Think of as a circus. But when it comes to the first modern circus, that one from 1768, that credit goes to Philip Astley of England. He had been a sergeant major in the cavalry and he had figured out that if you were on horseback and if your horse was riding in a very tight circle, that it allowed you to do a number of stunts So he decided to do some of this in public. This first performance in 1768 had several of the hallmarks of a typical circus today. There was a ring, there was an audience, and there were his feats of daring do. This ring was not his own invention. Other trick riders had been using them for the same purpose that he was, to keep the horse galloping in the correct circle, He did not come up with the name Circus either. That came from a competitor who started up a similar amusement not far away later on. But this first performance of basically riding trickery led to him expanding things. He added in more entertainments and more amusements. He started adding other horseback riders and acrobats and musicians. He added his first clown in 1770. Eventually, he put a roof over the ring and started using it for other kinds of performances as well. He called this Astley's Amphitheater. Astley then went on to open more circuses, and so did other people, including that competitor who coined the name circus. Circuses started spreading beyond Europe in the late 19th century, including to the United States. John Bill Ricketts was the first to really do multiple types of circus entertainment in the same show at the same venue. He was doing that starting in 1793. So if Philip Astley had just stuck to horsemanship and had not branched out into any other amusements, we probably wouldn't think of him as the father of the modern circus, as he's described today. But the fact that he started with his one horse show and then he added in so many other things that became this spectacle with multiple types of amusements Uh, working together under one tent or one roof. That's why he tends to get the credit now for being the founder or the father of the modern circus. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get podcasts. Tomorrow, we will have a crossing that turned out to be really dramatic.
0: Hey, y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, where we uncover a new layer of history every day. The day was January 9th, 1992. Radio astronomers Alexander Volschen and Dale Frail announced the discovery of two planets orbiting the pulsar PSR, B1257 plus 12. It was the first confirmed discovery of exoplanets. Exoplanets are planets beyond our solar system. People have thought that there were planets around other stars for centuries. But scientists did not have the tools to detect them, and there was no way to know what extrasolar systems looked like and whether there was life there. Astronomers in the 19th century claimed that they'd seen exoplanets, but their observations were discredited. The first evidence of a possible exoplanet orbiting a white dwarf named Van Manen II was recorded in 1917. And in 1988, scientists first proposed the existence of the exoplanet Gamma Cephei AB but it was not confirmed to be in orbit around the star Gamma Cephii until 2002. Using the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico, astronomers Volschen and Frail searched for new pulsars. In February of 1990, Volschen discovered a pulsar in the constellation Virgo that spun on this axis 161 times per second for a rotation period of 6.22 milliseconds. The pulsar was called PSR 1257 plus 12, with PSR standing for Pulsating Source of Radio and the following numbers representing the pulsar's right ascension and degrees of declination. Modern conventions prefix older pulsar names with the letter B. Since before 1993, pulsars were given names according to their positions in the B1950 coordinate system. Now they're given names based on their position in the J2000 coordinate system. But the pulsar had irregularities in its pulsation period. Volschen and Frail discovered that there were at least two planets orbiting PSR B1257 plus 12. The exoplanets were named PSR 1257 plus 12C and PSR 1257 plus 12D, or Poltergeist and Phobator, respectively. Both are around four times as massive as Earth. One has an orbital period of 66.5 days and the other 98.2 days. Because the exoplanets are constantly hit with radiation from the pulsar they're orbiting, they are rocky and cannot support organic life. On January 9, 1992, Frail and Volschen published a paper in the journal Nature announcing their discovery of the two exoplanets. Two years later, Volshtin and his colleague, Maciej Konaki discovered a third planet in the system. It is less massive than Earth and has an orbital period of 25.3 days. The planets likely formed from matter ejected into space during the supernova explosion that created the pulsar. In 1995, Michel Mayor and Didier Queloz discovered the first known exoplanet orbiting a star similar to the sun. Since 1992, thousands of exoplanets have been discovered, most of them confirmed by NASA's Kepler Space Telescope using the transit method. The transit method detects exoplanets by measuring the dimming of a star as an orbiting body passes between it and Earth. If the dimming happens at regular intervals and lasts a set amount of time, then it's likely that a planet is orbiting the star. The intensity of the dimming helps scientists determine the size ratio between the star and the planet. Exoplanets have also been discovered using other indirect methods, like the radial velocity method. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Want to impress your internet crush? Show them your history smarts by sharing something you learned on the show. Don't forget to tag us at T D I H C podcast. Our email address is thisday at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks for listening. Merry history to all and to all a good night. For more podcasts
1: from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.